Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Time to Adapt. I'm Max Schaefer, and across from me is... Selena. Hi. How are you, Selena? I'm doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> that was a... There was, there was a pause there. Yeah, because, you know, this time of year for students fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, I graduate in a week, and it's it feels very surreal right now. I've been I am- going through all of my last few things lately, and I'm just like... Oh shit! I won't do this again. Oh, this kind of sucks, but I'm also I'm also happy. That's good. Yeah, that's good. So, as you can tell, we're back from our first time, our first episode since God. It's been a while, folks. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, it's gonna be a very cheerful episode. Just letting you know. Yeah, because <laughs> it is. We're we we record this in Milwaukee, and in Milwaukee it is cold as fuck right now. So, what better? book to film adaptation to talk about than the one from a place that's even colder and shittier <laughs> than Milwaukee. <laughs> Way to call Sweden. them out. Shit. I'm just kidding. I love Sweden. Sweden. It's Have great. you been to Sweden? No, but I like I like the I like the filmmakers there. They're pretty good. Like Mark Bergman, he's the man. Uh oh, I think I offended Graham because he's Swedish. Uh-oh. Well, anyway. Anyways, let's we no longer it. have a show, but it's I'm just joking. Oh well. So we're gonna dive into the worldwide phenomenon, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Woot woot. No, it doesn't deserve it doesn't it doesn't need a woot woot. I don't know. I think it just it I is, think it deserves it. I, I don't know. I'm like, is that inappropriate to woot woot after girl with a dragon tattoo? But it's good. It's I I yeah. My intro to this was kinda interesting. Oh, but we'll get into. Well, do you? Okay, so let's dive into it, folks. Yeah, how we'll talk about how we came into this, like found this book. Um, I actually didn't read the book first. I watched the movie at probably way too young of an age. How old were you? I watched this when it, like, I think right after it came out. I think I was like thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah, I was. I think I was thirteen when I first watched this, and I'm like, and the weird thing is, I watched it with my friend. And her mom and like my mom was also there, which was, it was a weird experience. I'm like, I yeah. don't think I should watch this movie with my mom. And she, yeah. my mom, even though I was 13, she's like, okay, so you need to leave the room for this part. Like for some of the really, you know, heavy shit. She yeah. was like, you leave the room. So my friend was allowed to stay, but I had to leave the room. Well, <laughs> so, so it was it, a weird experience, but I loved the movie. Oh, yeah. It's definitely. <laughs> Even um, then, I was just like, shit, like, this is so intriguing and like the story is captivating. And I don't know. It was just like a well done film. Yeah. What's interesting, what I found the most interesting um, is that it's part of, it's not just like a alone type of work of fiction it's part of a whole subgenre called um it, it it varies between nordic noir and um scandinavian thriller depending on who you ask and they range from this is of course stieg larsen and the other big one is joe nesbro who does the um henry hull novels that are very good and the adaptations are shit those of you who have seen the snowman you know what i'm talking about I tried to watch The Snowman and fell asleep. <laughs> well, we'll probably talk about we'll that talk one about, later. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that Some one Some other later. time. But we're going to dive right in. And well, I guess we'll just break down the book like we usually do. Yeah. Like, well, so, yeah, kick that off, Mac. <laughs> well, 
Um, I'm going to start with the author here. So, Stieg Larsson wrote, as it's called, the Millennium Trilogy. And they are three different books. They're, the first one is called, in America, it's called The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. In Sweden, it's called Mansom Hata Kivinor, which is uh, Swedish for men who hate women. And then the other two are The Girl Who Played With Fire and The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest. Each of them deal with the same character, who is Lisbeth Salander, a tattooed punk um, with a lot of issues. Yeah. A lot of issues. Uh, yeah. Um, who's also brilliant. And about how um, she deals with... Like in the first book, you don't know a lot... You don't learn a lot about her. By the second book, you start to figure out like all the horrible shit that she went through. As well as you find out that a lot of these things that happen to her happen on almost on a regular basis to some other, to some people, especially in Sweden, where a lot of um, assaults on women as well as murder, women, murders of women are very, are, are very, Jesus, are not as reported as much as they actually happen, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So... Larson wrote these books, and he unfortunately passed away in no- November 9, 2004. He was uh, 50 years old. Um, he himself was part of a was a journalist and writer in Sweden who was at one point, and, I, and actually up until his death, he was one of the biggest experts on um, right wing, right wing, anti democratic and right wing groups within the Scandinavian area. Because one thing that a lot of people don't realize um, is that during, during um, right before World War II, Nazism really spread through uh, Sweden and Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for one, of course, the, the, the ha- a lot of the, inva- the invasion of it definitely had a, a card to play in there. However... They, they had this. There was the 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 Swedish people have very much the everything that kind of makes up part of the Aryan race: tall, blonde hair, blue eyes, mm-hmm. and so of course the the Nazi ideas became pretty. They became pretty well known in, within the country. So after, of course, everything and after the war ended and everything these ideas and m- much like most far right groups they just went into hiding they didn't just they didn't like people didn't just drop their shit and be like you know what it's over let's let's uh, let's just stop this no they it just went into hiding and it was still very much there and to this day it is very much there yeah it's very much there in a lot of countries mm-hmm. so goodness gracious so, um, so among the so, of course, the books were published posthumously, but all three of them actually mm-hmm. um, within I think like a couple of months of each other. Yeah, the first um, dragon, girl with a dragon tattoo is uh, in two thousand five, mm-hmm. which is what like a year after you died, two years. About uh, less oh, yeah, than a year. S- yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, with that, um, they became a phenomenon in Sweden, and then as soon as they started to get um, sent around and translated, 
They became even bigger. And then it became just a worldwide phenomenon with over 60 million copies that were in print at, at one point. And the, of course, the American, uh, the, the English the English language version became just a phenomenon in the States. Which, oh, yeah. Which, it, it's shocking, because how I got introduced to it is my mom read it in her book club. It was the first book Your that, sweet little mom read that book? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Don't know. My mother is... <laughs> She's like, I don't know, the very picture, like... I guess I don't know what what come what first comes to mind when you're like sweet Midwestern mom who's just like lovely and wholesome. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> completely oblivious to a lot. <laughs> She's so no, sweet. I love her. Um, but yeah, and what when I found out that she was reading it, I was like shocked. I'm like, I mean, I haven't read the book, but I know what happens in the book. So out of nowhere, she got really into it. And deep down, I think my mom is a bit of a, a true crime lover. Like, like who isn't? I know, I know that. But like, like when I would like listen to the po- murder podcasts and stuff, she gets so like creeped out. Like, oh, why are you listening to that? But then she just kind of like stick around and keep listening. And I'm like, I know, mom. I know. I know. <laughs> I've been on a deep dive of Scientology lately. Woo! Talk about true crime shit. Well, perhaps that's right a- now I'm like. Yeah, up to my neck in Scientology. I am not a Scientologist, but it's fascinating to learn about it. Anyways. (laughs) So, so yeah. So, she read the book, and she would explain to me what was happening in the book. And then, eventually, I'm like, hey, do you want to watch the movie? Because at that point, the um, Swedish version had just come out. And um, I think my local library actually had a copy. Yeah. And so... That's how I saw it. It was, I think, loaned from the library or something. We watched it, and um, I was just taken aback by how just the darkness, the the whole, like, m- mood and feel of the film, and that's one thing we'll probably get into a little bit more later, is um, the difference between the original version from uh, 2009 to the 2011 Americanized version directed by David Fincher. And one of the things that I immediately give a point to the Swedish version for is the fact that it feels more like it's it was made in its home country. And it also takes a point to be like, yes, this is a very dark and terrifying thing. But also, look at our beautiful country. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, you gotta. I think you really have to. Because if you, like knew nothing about Sweden except from what the girl with the dragon tattoo states. You would never want to go to that country. And it really, it, it's, it's a beautiful country. It really is. But it's cold as fuck. <laughs> as I'm told. I have not been there, but I will be there soon. So, I suppose we should dive into the book. The book. Yeah, so he kind of got inspired well, he he spoke of an incident uh, that he said occurred. So it's kind of on his word uh, that when he was 15, he like this is the inspiration for it. But he stood by um, as three men gang raped uh, an acquaintance of his named Elizabeth. Like days later, he, he tried to like apologize and beg forgiveness, I guess. And obviously like she refused. Um, but he said that the that incident haunted him, and that's what inspired the character Elizabeth, um, who is also a rape survivor. 
Yeah. Um, but people have questioned that story since his death. Um, especially after a colleague from Expo magazine reported to Rolling Stone that Larson had told him that he had heard that story secondhand so, and retold it as his own. Mm. Um, so there's like some people kind of not sure about that yeah. validity of that story. And one of the other big influences is probably one of the most, one of the most grim things I've ever d- done a deep dive into the internet for. And that is the, rem- the murder of Catherine de Costa. Now, in the late summer of 1984, a Swedish prostitute named Katrine DaCosta had been dismembered. Parts of her body in plastic bags uh, were found about a, a meter or one kilometer apart from each other Eesh. on J- July 18th and August 8th. It's known as the dismemberment murder trial. And how she died is still not known because her vital organs and her head were never found. That's fucked oh, up. Oh yeah, it's um, it's, <laughs> oh, it's that's, that's terrifying to think that there's just this woman's head just out there. Could be a trophy. It could be all <sighs> sorts of stuff. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And what's even sadder, it was, it's completely unsolved. They don't know what happened. Holy shit! And that's one of Bit Larson's, as 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 I understand it, it is one of his biggest influences because of the. Um, lack of communication within the Swedish justice system mm-hmm. as well as all of the issues that of, of the issues of misogyny and rape within Sweden mm. are apparently appalling and the fact that you know toxic masculinity as well as just men in power mm. have done these horrific things so you ever went in for a want to go down for a nice little uh Deep dive. Go into the Swedish mur- Swedish murder stories, the ones that are unsolved. They're pretty, pretty grisly, and it makes perfect sense when you read Girl with Dragon Tattoo. You see exactly where this stuff comes from. Because my mom mentioned to me like she was like really disgusted at hearing and about all these horrible things that were happening mm-hmm. in the books, and she's like, I-, "I can't believe people can be this cruel." And I'm like, "You're not paying attention, Ma. Yeah, it's horrific, and it's it's all." If if somebody can imagine it, there's probably something worse of it. That's what I kind of fi- I think, personally. <laughs> so the Swedish version was <sighs> extremely well received by critics, and it received a of course it received an 86 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and among other things, it was um, Roger Ebert gave it four stars, claiming that the film is a compelling thriller to begin with, but it adds the rare quality of having a heroine more fascinating than the story. And I think that very much is the case with mm-hmm. Numi Rapace, who plays Elizabeth in this version. This was her big, uh, um, it was her big role, her, her big like, to the rest of the world. Even though she was already a well-known um, Swedish actress, yeah, she would go on to act in Prometheus, uh, the Dead Sherlock, Man, Dead Man Down, uh, Sherlock Holmes: The Game of Shadows, um, Passion with Brian De Palma. And there's something else that she's in right now. I can't remember. Um, oh, she was in oh, Bright, was, if she, you ever watched that. She was in uh, the f- uh, What Happened to Monday. Oh, that's right. I, I haven't watched that yet. <laughs> it's. It's. All right. All right. But it's fun. Okay. I would say it. it's fun. And then, but it's not like the height of cinematic achievement. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just say that. Okay. Well, 
She tries her best. <laughs> That's good. And she got lots of awards for this, mm-hmm. which is which I I feel is it's well deserved. Oh, it's well it's, deserved. She it's, was it's incredible. And like when I think of the girl, I if I when I think of Elizabeth Salander, I think of her. Yeah. That's the version I think Same. of. I think it fits more because well, we, obviously when we talk about the American version, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Well, let's go into the American version, unless you have anything else you'd like to add. Uh let me just I think like yeah, it was just so I don't know, just like the the tone of the film and just like the color uh just how they colored it. Everything felt super dark, but it was also very beautiful, like the landscaping um and yeah, the scene I guess the sets themselves, I, I don't know, it was it kind of like fucked me up though when I first watched it. Oh, Granted, yeah. I was thirteen, <laughs> so yeah. well, I was let's, like, "I think we're gonna talk." Let's so talk like, a little. That's probably not something that a basically like a young teenager should probably watch. No, not at all. And of course, but yeah. it was. But I'm. But yeah, it definitely informed me in a different time, like of a, a non-American film yeah. that's still just. I didn't care that I was had to read subtitles. Well, let's um, dive into. Of course, we're gonna we're, we're diving into spoilers territory for this entire episode. So, sorry if you Pam. haven't figured it out yet. Probably you should turn this off. You're not gonna if you've, if you really want to read the book, which I highly recommend. So we're gonna talk about the scenes that happen. Um, the rape scene in particular is one of the most grotesque and most gruesome things I've ever witnessed. Yeah, it and wasn't like, bef- yeah, I remember like when I first watched it. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to see those because my mom was like, "Get out!" But yeah. when I watched them again, I was like, "Yeah, I understand why she told me to leave." <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, what happens in the in the book and in both movies is that um, Elizabeth has um, she's considered uh, mentally unstable by the by the country. So she has a ward who gives her, gives her money and writes up reports about her. Her first one, basically like a glorified, uh, like parole officer. Basically. Yeah. And, um, her first ward, who's a very sweet old man who really understands and cares for her has a stroke and he's incompetent to do anything anymore. So they give him, give her a new ward. Who's this disgusting pig who, Forces him forces her to perform sex acts on him in exchange for money for whatever she needs, such as her laptop gets broken. So she needs a new encrypted laptop that costs a lot of um, kroner. Because of, like, one, her job is as a hacker. So, yeah, companies hire her to hack into things. And, and the- so she needs a laptop. That's That's what she does. And she... Of course, like she does it because she knows that no one's gonna believe her. And when she eventually is like, "I'm gonna film this guy doing this stuff," originally it's like she thinks it's gonna be a blowjob. Then it turns out that he knocks her out, ties her to a bed, and uh, rapes her. And in the book, um, it's she he shoves a dildo up her ass, and well, she gets her revenge by. Finding him like a couple of days later, knocking him out, tying him up, shoving a dildo up his ass, 
um, forcing him to basically write good reports about her for the rest of his time as her ward, and tattooing I am a, I am a rapist pig on his stomach. Uh, and it's all done... It's done like... I feel like if it was done in any other situation, it would have gotten like an X rating in uh, as a film. Yeah. But because it comes after watching one of the most uncomfortable moments I've seen in a film, it definitely. I I, I think like even the the ratings board just was like it's it's deserved mm-hmm. and it's disturbing yet satisfying to watch him get. The sh- get the shit kicked out of him and to get all this horrific things happening to him. Yeah, it's, you definitely have a weird reaction as an audience because it's like such a huge level of violence on its own, but because of the preceding events, it makes you as an audience member want to like cheer her on. Yeah. So it kind of makes you think you're like, holy shit, like I'm cheering on this other type of brutality. Yeah. Makes you think, man. Makes but. So one of the things, uh, but yeah, the scenes were just, yeah, they're hard to watch. Oh yeah, for sure. But and they're also well done. Like we're yeah, just like how they how they shot each scene, and it's interesting the amount of care that they put into that. Yeah, and definitely both versions take a very different approach to it. But yeah, we can get into that in a bit. Um, we didn't really talk much about what hap- what the book's about. So well, we, we kind of covered a portion of it. A but, part of it, part of it, yeah. But yeah, basic, so, yeah. Elizabeth Salander is like the, one of the the main like character throughout the the Millennium trilogy. The other character is Mikhail Blomkist. Um, in the book, he likes to go by he um, well, he has like a pet name of Kale Blomkist, and he is a journalist at a magazine called Millennium, which. Um, they take pride in like finding and calling out um, financial corruption within yeah. the, within the the country of Sweden, <clears throat> and he has just lost a case of libel when somebody who he had written an expose on turns out that the source that they named was um, wasn't real. <clears throat> so he's forced to do prison time, and while he's doing that, he gets a letter from. The Wanger family, from Heinrich Wanger, as a matter of fact, and Heinrich Wanger hires him to come up to his home in Hedstad, which it doesn't exist. I found that out today. <coughs> Excuse me. And he says, "I, on paper, I want you to do a biography about me, but what I'm actually going to pay you to do." is do this biography of my entire family. All of them. And they're all awful people. Mm-hmm. You will find that out very soon. And mainly, um, the Vanger Corporation is considered a very old and prestigious corporation that, um, after a few different trade-offs, ended up doing pretty much kind of like a, they're only like really a corporation in name only. They don't do a lot. But all, all of the family members live in this little area in Hedestad. It's like a yeah, like an island, an yeah. island. Um. So yeah, when Bloomstick gets there, Bloomstick. I don't know how. Bloomquist. Bloomquist. I can't. 
Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> These, like, what European names. <laughs> okay. But, yeah. Okay. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Banger promises, so like. Sorry, everyone. Pr- promises to provide, like, him information that he wants um, in return to discovering what happened to Vanger's grandniece, Harriet, who disappeared in 1966. This takes place in 2000, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so Vanger believes that she was murdered by a f- member of the family uh, because she disappeared during a family gathering at the estate on the island mm-hmm. uh, and when the island was temporarily cut off from the mainland by a traffic accident on the bridge. So yes. it's kind of like a whodunit film mm-hmm. uh, at this point. Cause, or, well, book. <laughs> yeah book story at this point of the story because now you have this main one of the main characters being told okay so you gotta figure out which one did it yeah um so yeah so bloom's what are bloomkist bloomkist i'm gonna just point at you so you can say the name (laughs) okay it's fine (laughs) my dyslexia acted up i can't i can't figure it out so yeah so he moves to the island and begins to research the vanger family history and her disappearance and as he does he meets most of the like the rest of the clan um and yeah they're not as as i said they're they're not great people like no (laughs) most of them are nazis yeah most of them were nazis yeah um so yeah, he. Uh, yeah, so at that same time, kind of what's what we talked about, Elizabeth has is happening. Um, well, when he's at the island, that's what's happening to her, and then, um, so then Bloomkist sees a report that she prepared for Vanger, and then he, he basically sees that he ha- she hacked into his computer. This is after the stuff that happened to her. She's kind of doing her thing now. Yeah. Um, and so he confront confronts her and then asks her to help him with the investigation, which she agrees to. So now it's both of them working on it. Yeah. So while he's figuring this out, he um, learns that before he was chosen, um, he somebody came in to do like a background check on him, mm-hmm. and that background check was done by Lisbeth Salander. And when he finds out that she knows him now better than most of his closest friends do, he hires her to help him out. Yeah. And the only reason, or among the reasons why she helps him out, and I can't remember exactly if this happens in the book, because it happens in the Swedish film. Um, She's aware of what what he's doing. And part of that is because she has a lot more of a respect for him, because by all accounts... He's a clean guy. He doesn't have any skeletons in his closet, and he's not some evil pig. He's a genuine guy who's trying to do the right thing. So, in at least in the Swedish version, she starts. He starts to get hints from her because, like, he, she'll like pop stuff up on his computer because she's hacked into his computer. Um, in the m- movie, in, in the um, Fincher version, she he just tracks her down. Yeah. And does that. So the two of them start working and then it gets a little intimate. And by the end, they find out that one of the the last as always in a lot of these crime stories, the the person you least expect to be behind it all is behind it and that's Martin Vanger. Martin Who's the, very f- like friendly 
throughout the early part of it. Yeah. And he, he helps give them information and Yeah, he's like, I'm super helpful. So yeah. The one that presented himself as being like such a good dude. Yeah. So they find out that not only was um Heinrich correct in that he, he believes that somebody in this family is a murderer, he finds out that Heinrich's brother, mm-hmm. who um was Martin's father, was a killer, and he had killed women according to certain verses of the Bible that range from stoning to death to, I think at one point one gets flayed. And it's, yeah. It's, gr- it's grotesque. And Martin picked up on this. Um, but instead of, Martin doesn't do it for because he's a Nazi, and he doesn't do it because he's religious. He just does it for the sick, sadistic pleasure of it all. Yeah. And... And in some ways, he's worse than his father. Oh, definitely. I mean, he's <laughs> definitely killed more. It's it's implied that he's probably killed at least 40 women. And they're all drifters, prostitutes, the ones that... Aren't looked for. Yeah, the ones that are that no one goes out of their way to go look for, much like the murder of Catherine. Catherine. So, in the Swedish version, there's a moment that I just... I, I love... And they kind of do it in the Fincher version, but I prefer it in the Swedish version. That's a moment when after Blomkvist gets captured and he's tortured by Vanger, uh, Martin sits down, he smokes a cigarette, and gives him a glass of water. So he, and like after like he's told him all of this stuff, and Blomkvist is clearly on the edge of death. Um, he's like, "Do you want a glass of water?" He's like, "Yeah." Then he gives him this glass of water, and then Martin looks into his eyes and goes, "I love this moment." It's the moment when I do something nice for them. And there's that moment in their eye where they think they might get away. They might get away. They might get out. They'll be safe. And then I love when that light leaves their eyes and they totally, and they finally realize that they're going to die there. That's what I love the most. That's what gets me hard. And I'm just like, oh, oh God, you're, you're a horrible person. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I need a shower. Literally, like- so just like... <laughs> Just like her neck went back. Like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. Creepy. Um, and what I liked about another thing that I like about the Swedish version is none of the actors look like rock stars. They oh, don't no. look like celebrities. They, they look, look like normal ass people. Normal, normal people. <laughs> normal Scandinavians. So, so yeah. Basically, let's quickly finish up like how the book ends slash film. Yeah. So. Towards the end, um, Martin f- tries to fl- uh, like flee by a car, but he's pursued by Salander and basically chooses his own fate by like purposely colliding headlong into an oncoming truck. That's what happened in the book. Yeah, it, it, it's it's not it's not it's only hinted at that maybe he he wanted to do that do it that way, or it might be that he just skidded out of control. Yeah. Regardless, it crashes, and Lisbeth with full in- has the full intention to kill him. Yeah. But instead, the uh, truck, the the car explodes, and he just burns to death. Yeah. So she doesn't have to do it for him. So basically, they believe. Also, when it comes to Harriet, um, they thought they're they believe that Cecilia's sister and uh, Anita. So Cecilia, she was holy crap. She, who is she again? She Cecilia was, was, I believe, a cousin. 
Her cousin. Yeah, she was her cousin. Um, so. Oh, correction. It's December 2002 it takes place. Okay. Not 2000. My, my apologies. Yeah, so. Uh, so they're like they're so they're tracking down a relative who now lives in London, um, who might be the only relative who might know something about Harriet's face. So, um, Bloomkiss and um, Elizabeth head follow that lead and learn that Harriet is still alive and she's living under Anita's name in Australia. Um, so Bloomkiss flies there to meet her and Harriet tells him the truth about her disappearance. Basically, she escaped. Uh, her father and her brother had repeatedly raped her. First it was her father, but after um, her, she killed her father because her yeah. father was drunk one night and he would gloat about the murders. And when he, when he would gloat about them, um, Harriet would write them down. And he yeah. would write down. she would write down the Bible verses. So eventually someone would realize... Would put would put would put the connection together. Yeah, so, so she killed her father, and then Martin was sent away to like uh, preparatory school. But when he returned the day of her, he returned the day of her disappearance. So she realized she had to escape. So, That's part of it, and yeah. like also, the only reason that Harriet didn't like come forward to people about what happened is because she knew she knew that Martin would have the high ground in, in like this whole statement that like she, that he saw her do it, but he never came forward about it. So of course he starts raping her and that's kind of like when that's what keeps her from coming forward out of this fear that he'll like do it again and he'll, he'll, he'll kill her. But yeah. when she goes, when he goes away and that throws everything for a loop and then, when she sees him at the parade, because one of the big clues are all these photographs taken at this Children's Day parade. Yeah. Which Bloomquist uses to figure out, like, what are you looking at? Because these different viewpoints and vantage points. And so with that, the one of the, one of the other big things that is the main reason Heinrich wants this whole thing solved is because every year on the anniversary of the day she disappeared, he receives a framed pressed flower. Now, the pressed flower um, was what Harriet would give to her uncle. Because of, of everyone in her family, the only one that she truly loved was her uncle Heinrich. Yeah, because he wasn't a fucking dick. And he wasn't a Nazi. And Simple. he wasn't a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> he was just not a, an asshole. Yeah. Which come by very, very there, are, there are not many of them in this universe. So he ends up um she kept sending him those um the the framed the flowers. Frame, the, <laughs> I can't talk today people. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh but he thought after she disappeared and he kept getting the flowers, he thought it was like a taunt from her killer. Um but once he finds out that she, um she's alive at at the end uh they reunite so it's like a sad book but it kind of has a nicer ending like she's alive and yeah she survived all that and then she gets to reunite with a family member that she, she reunites loves. with him and she ends up taking a big part in the corporation after martin dies uh, for obvious reasons they can't come forward with the information that martin has been responsible for the killings of over, over 40 maybe 60 women within the last like 
33 years. So Elizabeth begrudgingly agrees to not publish any of it. Yeah. Um, however, one of the things she does at the very end is she ends up through a turn of events, they figure out why the whole libel case started. And that's because there was a mole in the millennium magazines industry who told this Venestrom. Venestrom is the guy who, uh, um, accused Bloomquist of libel. And this guy worked for Venestrom. And when they find that out, they, they eliminate, basically the last like hundred pages is just about the setup to catch the mole, get rid of him and make the make Venestrom think that they're going to publish something completely different, yeah. and just like can't and and the magazine doesn't happen. They do. They end up writing the big expose, and it puts Bloomquist back on the good map. So he ends up. Venestrom goes running, and then out of nowhere, his assets disappear, and so does Elizabeth. And it turns out that Elizabeth takes these um, assets, all like. Something like $30 million, maybe more. I can't remember exactly. Um, they move to these little accounts that go to each of the families who lost someone to Martin Vanger. So it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. And it gets a little more. And after that, things kind of like take a jump and a leap during the girl who played with fire and kicked the hornet's nest. But let's get into the American version. The big one. The one that everyone been thinks about. Yeah. Well, that's the one I think that most people that more people saw because one, it was there's no subtitles. <laughs> and then also just like the casting and obviously who like David Fincher. Um so I feel like yeah, a lot of people saw the Swedish ver- version, but I think this one got a wider wider audience yeah. the American version did. So, of course, David Fincher, director of Seven, Zodiac, um, Curious Kids, Benjamin Button, and The Social Network. He's got a good hand in, like, crime. Yeah. And he's really good at... I mean, Seven is probably one of the best crime films ever made. Oh, yeah. Um, or, like, murder well, films. Well, I'm, a, I'm, a, like, I'm a, definitely a fan of it, because it's very twisty-turny. And just... Oh, yeah. And it makes perfect sense when you look at the... Uh, also, I think I watched that one a bit too young, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like... Are we thinking, are we thinking getting... of the same scene? <coughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, I probably shouldn't have watched it when I did. <laughs> no, probably not. Also, it has Kevin Spacey. Ugh. Anyway. Anyways, also, on. yeah, so it stars Daniel Craig, which at first I was not really a fan of because I was like, why? I was, is... I was like, when I heard about the casting, I was kind of pissed this is the one but it, i was happy about it when i after i watched it this is the one thing that i can give the remake credit for i like this bloomquist a lot more in the book he claims that he's a mid-50s handsome guy who's not awful he's not like out of shape but he's not su- too super fit everybody in sweden has to go through the uh, uh two years of military service so yeah. Everyone, so so he has uh, two years worth of military intelligence. So like when he gets shot at earlier in the book, he he knows how to like duck and stay away from it and everything yeah. like that. Um, so 
The I product- was just like, when I first heard about it, I was like, all I saw was James Bond. And I was like, dude, he's supposed to be like a journalist, like a normal ass dude. And I, for me, Daniel Craig just doesn't seem like a normal ass dude. And I had some issues when the, um, the, the, the teaser poster came out for it. Because it was just um, Bloomquist with like a gun holding, like basically holding back Lisbeth. Uh, basically half naked Lisbeth. And I thought that was kind of against that. that, that that's kind of like an insult to Elizabeth's character. She can take care of herself. And the whole actual books and what kind of like white his, male his, savior kind and, of a thing. Well, no. And just like the author's like original like idea and, you know, yeah. so yeah, yeah, I just remember like at first not being jazzed about it because I was like, this does not look like, you know, anything like what I know about the book and the film. Um, yeah. But yeah, when I watched it, I was like, "Holy shit!" I'm pleasantly surprised. It, I, it was a lot more. I guess I don't know. It was a lot better than yeah. It was basically it was a lot better than I thought. <coughs> oh, I was. Goodness. I was like, it's also kind of up there with the first one. Yeah. That's how. I, so I was like, okay, I won't be heated. Yeah. <laughs> so, I saw the theaters with my mom, and. Oddly enough, like my mom hates violence, but she was able to sit through all of this. Dang. So this had a production budget of ninety million. Just a and, small amount. <laughs> well, actually, like compared to a lot of like holiday blockbusters, yeah. that's not a lot. Yeah. And a lot of it went directly to um there's some like VFX stuff. Like with Fincher, he does that a lot where there's a lot of VFX shots in places you don't expect there to be a VFX shots. Um, I think a lot of it went to some of those shots, um, but also because Fincher's a perfectionist, and everything, of course, has like a green vi- a green kind of uh, filter over it, kind of like the Matrix. But yeah. it's oh, before we go on, um, I just for just realized that we forgot to say who uh, who stars as Lisbeth, the most important character, Rooney, Rooney Mara. Mara, which, yeah. She's a good Elizabeth. Yeah, she was good. I was like not sure at first because I was just hesitant for this film to begin with, like for this adaptation. But yeah, I yeah again I was pleasantly surprised. I was more accepting of her uh, when I heard about the casting than I was Daniel Craig. But yeah, but yeah, she was a fantastic Elizabeth. Um, yeah. So it was basically kind of after it premiered it. It was kind of chosen to by like the National Board of Review as one of their top ten films of 2011. It was, yeah, it was highly regarded. Everyone was just geeking over it. Like, uh, it was nominated like a candidate for numerous awards. It won um, some, among others, like the Academy Award for Best uh, Film Editing, and then and Mars nomination for Rooney Mara for yeah. Best Actress, which highly, I think it's a, it's it's a well deserved nomination. Yeah. So basically, everyone was like, "Holy shit, this is fantastic!" Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things that they were planning to do a sequel, but because of um, development and some production issues, especially with Fincher, because he couldn't resp- he couldn't come back to um, do both of them. There were issues that I think the main issue I think is that it's such a dark story and it's very bleak and yeah. it's not something that like the the main audience that that read the book 
would go would be like over the moon to go see. Yeah. Especially with like some of the more dark stuff that occurs in Plague with Fire and Kick the Hornet's Nest. So it got pushed off and then eventually um, the studios decided that they were going to reboot the movie. And that reboot came in came just a couple of weeks ago in The Girl in the Spider's Web. So when Larson died, he only had three manuscripts and there were five out of five two of those manuscripts one was like almost completed and the other was like just like just some notes really but they continued on with the character through other authors and so like there could like all these other these other two books um i can't remember what the other one is but one of them is the girl in the spider's web that is under the name of uh, a different author, but it's 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 linked as Elizabeth Salander novel. Yeah, and that starred Claire Foy, and I've heard I've heard good things. It's just that like it's confusing because of what it is and the fact that it exists. And we're like, well, what about the other two? Yeah. Um. But yeah, um, it's directed by Fade Alvarez, who also directed Don't Breathe and the Evil Dead remake. Both great stuff. So, I'm not I'm, I'm not angry that it's not doing terribly. Um, I do kind of I like Claire Foy as Elizabeth. I never I haven't seen the film, but I'm too stuck on her as Queen Elizabeth. Oh yeah, she's in the Crown. In isn't the she? Crown. Shit. Okay. But yeah. Anyways, back to Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Yes. Um So, guess for production, like the writing was one of the longer bits for sure. Like the, it, the writing process was like six months long, um, including like three months creating notes. This is the American and, remake. Yeah. yeah and, 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 uh, analyzing the novel. So yeah, they just kind of really dug deep into trying to get the script right. Yeah. So, I guess, out of all this, the big question is, who is the better Elizabeth? And Ooh. I think, for me, it's Numi. Yeah, for it's me, good. too. I'll, honestly, I think it the first one really influenced how I, like, I don't know. I just, I prefer the Swedish version over the American version, but yeah. I think that's in part because I saw the Swedish version yeah. first. So, in my mind, she's always the Lisbeth, you know? Yeah. I think definitely they're both so good. And one of the things I liked a lot about Rooney Mars version is that, and, and this is definitely something that like has come out more and more as um, the disability has become more obvious, has become more spoken about in the book. It's kind of implied that Lisbeth might have autism and it's kind of the reason why she's so antisocial and why she just doesn't have a lot of... She doesn't have good people skills. And I think Rooney Mara... In her, she, well, she also has a real versatile actress. She was in The Social Network as this very talkative person. Um, oh, as, yeah, I forgot she was Zucker in that. Yeah, <laughs> she's the one who Mark Zuckerberg dumps at the very beginning. Oh, yeah. And then the next movie she does with him, she's this complete opposite. Yeah. And I definitely think that it comes off more in the Fincher version that she's 
got a lot more issues. Well, Whereas, not necessarily I mean, issues, well, not like differences. Issues, differences, thank you, sorry. Yeah. Um, but in the Swedish version, I think it comes off more as... Uh, she's more badass. Yeah, not, it's definitely more... not a sociopath, more... but definitely tendencies. Yeah, and, and it, she's basically like, don't give a fuck. Yeah. And like, like hardcore, like a, don't give a fuck attitude. But she has sort of a... A code. Yeah. At the, at the same token. And I do like that more. The more badass with a code of conduct kind of a, a vibe. Yeah, because... you see that stuff a lot in... Because uh, it's, I guess, like, yeah, you feel for her character and she has great, like, emotional, like, moments where you see her go through shit. But uh, it's definitely, I guess, the Rooney Mar version, like, there's a little bit more of that where emotional moments, but... Yeah. So it's kind of depending on what kind of vibe you're going for. It's like, yeah, they're still both. They're both badass. So yes, definitely. It's and, not um, really a clear winner. But so then, who's your favorite Bloomquist? Probably, I probably Daniel Craig. I think. Yeah. I think I liked him a little bit better. He wasn't so much of like an asshole. Because there are moments where he's kind of like an asshole. His character is a little bit. Yeah, I think. But like, I don't know. Like, it's they're they're played very differently. Yeah. Like, whereas the Elizabeth character, like they're they're played differently, but not so differently as with um, Bloomquist. Definitely. So it's kind of hard to like. Yeah, I would just probably say Daniel Craig. I'm. I agree. Also, Daniel Craig, Craig, obviously, I can made that obvious in the. Um, yeah, like even though I was so opposed to him at first, like I think the more I think about it, yeah, he's probably. My I also do feel like Michael Nyquist deserves credit. The late Michael Nyquist, who he passed last year, was kind of sad. Mm. Um, but he also, much like Nubia Rapace, had a a bit of a um, a renaissance in America afterwards. He played the bad guy in Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol, as well as um, he was in a couple other good. Little, little things that were pretty good. Wasn't uh, the Skarsgård dad in the American version too? Uh, Stellan Skarsgård was. Yeah. yeah, he played Martin Vanger. Yeah, yeah. Because um, the I remember being terrified of the Swedish version, but Skarsgård fucking freaked me out too. And that's something that's that whole family too. is weirdly blessed. I oh, don't yeah. know. And like, like they're all six feet and over, and then just like welcome to Sweden, w- wildly talented and. All of them were acting. On top of that, basically, um, Stellan Skarsgård was the only one whom um, they cast him without an audition. It was well, like Fincher y- made it a Fincher like read the script and was was like, "This is Stellan. This is him." <laughs> that's unfortunate. That like as a like, thank you for this role, but like, shit, that's like, like damn. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I get it. Like, yeah, he was he was a fantastic bad guy oh definitely because you just hated him but for me i think i it's like what sticks with me the swedish version yeah the swedish version sticks sticks with me too because one i think because of my first impression when i watched it and then yeah he just fucking terrified me when i first watched it so i think that's really stuck yeah i was like i don't know if i can watch this one i was like very sheltered when he came to movies at that time so I'm very surprised that I let you watch it. Regardless, we could easily um, 
one of the other things that I feel should be talked about is the Swedish version. There's the two and a half hour version that was in theaters in America, but there's also the two part miniseries version that was aired on Swedish television like six months after the after the movie showed, and it's also great because it it it. It it's more true to the book because it has all the little things too, mm-hmm. and there are obviously there's some small differences. Um, one thing that I think is good is that in both bo- both film versions, they leave out the fact that he hasn't he has a a relationship with one of the Vanger uh, women on the island. That's left out in both in both adaptations, which I think mm-hmm. is good because it just kind of it's kind of distracted. It doesn't add, it doesn't add anything. Yeah, to the story. it would have distracted. Yeah. Um. And aside from that, they both they both kind of have the same ending where uh, Elizabeth starts to develop feelings for Michael, and as soon as he does, as soon as she does, um, she's basically given a whole um, reality check when she realizes, that, oh yeah, he's with his um, he's with his publicist or his editor. Yeah, and they they kind of have an on and off thing, and it's. It's kind of sad, but also, you know, she's not seen that coming. Yeah. And the fact that Bloomquist is, like, in his mid-50s and Lisbeth's in her early 20s. Yeah, so. But regardless, it's definitely, it's one of the best books I've ever read. I enjoyed reading it a lot. It was a lot of fun to read and to just kind of, like, immerse myself in. Yeah, it's definitely very immersive. Yes. Like, And it, it just gets you in the crime mood. Yeah, just learn about especially when the weather is like this where it's cold and gray outside and you have like a good crime book like this. This is a perfect time to read mm-hmm. some creepy stuff, even and though it is the holiday season. <laughs> yep. Well, but there's not many holiday adaptations for us to talk about, so that's Unless why. Unless we do another ver- another go at <laughs> Christmas Carol, but I don't think I don't anybody think wants that. that. No. <laughs> we'll find something. Eventually. Anyway. We'll probably go back to some good Stephen King. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's going to happen next year. That and maybe we'll do Dune. Maybe. That's, that, would that's, be, a, that's That would be a good high dive. That's a chore. <laughs> yeah. So, But, yeah, that's Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Basically, short version. We like both versions. We like them both. We They're prefer both the Swedish good. versions, but we like them both. We like them both. They're good versions, uh, good adaptations. And also a shout out to the score on the on the American version by Nine oh. Inch Nails, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Incredible. There's an awesome cover of Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song, sung by Karen O. Good stuff. Good, good, good stuff. stuff. So, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> well, we're going to hopefully be delivering you more episodes after our very unfor- unfortunate couple of months off. But it's been a time. It's been a time. It's been a time, people. Yep. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And, and thank, yeah, until next time, this has been Time to Adapt. <laughs>